It's timely. It's insightful. It's motivating. It's empowering. It's time with Fred, your inspirational broadcast with host Fred Gaddy. Hello, and thanks for tuning in to another edition of the Time with Fred podcast. This is a podcast that challenges paradigms and mindsets that hold us back. This podcast can be heard on iTunes, Spotify, Pandora, Google Play, iHeartRadio, and anywhere else you listen to your podcast. To forgive is to set a prisoner free and to discover that that prisoner was you. Louis B. Smithis. My guest today on this edition of the Time with Fred podcast lost her business, went bankrupt. She was attacked, raped, and left for dead. She was forced into retirement and experienced many other life personal challenges. My guest today joins us from South Africa, and she is in the person of Lois Wagner. Lois, thank you so much for coming on the Time with Fred podcast today. Thank you very much for having me, Fred. I'm looking forward to our conversation. My pleasure. Lois, your story started about some 20 plus years ago. Is that correct? That is correct. Why don't you take us back um, and, and tell us, tell our audience what happened to you on that fateful day? Uh, I had a, a small digital printing business uh, in partnership and I was working late one night in my what I thought was a secure courtyard. I was working outside, it was a beautiful summer's evening, had the radio playing and I was busy working. And the first that I was aware that anybody was there was when this man um, had jumped over the eight foot wall and he had a screwdriver to my, my neck and his hand around my throat. That was the first I was aware that something was not right. Um, and I, I looked at this, this man, he was smaller than me and I thought, oh, I can overpower him. So I fought him, I fought him with everything I had. I fought him <laughs> hard. I also tried pleading with him. I, I did everything that you're supposed to do, except I didn't know how to fight. And he eventually overpowered me. Um, we, we struggled a lot. I injured him as well. <laughs> I know I managed to stab him with a screwdriver as well. But he stabbed me numerous times. He, he really injured me badly and eventually overpowered me and raped me. Wow. Did you hear when you were in the office, did you hear the sounds of someone coming in there? Were there any people in the building at all or just all, all of a sudden? Nothing. It was, it was late at night. Um, it was the day before New Year's Eve and the city was very quiet. Uh, and yeah, it was just, I had the radio going, I was listening to music. And so now I didn't hear anything at all. I was so surprised. I was shocked that he was wow. actually there. Were you able to scream or shout for help? Or oh, I, I screamed, I shouted, I did everything. But, you know, there was nobody around anyway. So, you know, I was in a very secluded part of town, a sort of isolated area. Uh, and, yeah, so there was nobody around. So he tied me up. I was bleeding profusely. He stole what he could. He stole my car and he left. Wow. So what happened afterwards? Did you, how did you struggle? Well, I, to... had, I had a lot of 
I, I think I had a good attitude in my head and, you know, I had this good survival instinct. So while he was fighting me, he grabbed a glass off the table and he smashed it. And he came at, he came at my chest with this glass. And that's when I stopped fighting because that's when I thought he was going to kill me. But I managed to grab a piece of that glass. So after he left, I managed to cut myself free. And I got to the phone and I called the police. So um, I was very, very fortunate. The, the first people on the scene was a, a, a couple, male and female police sergeants, and they were very close by and they arrived almost instantly. And they, she was wonderful. She just checked that you stopped the bleeding, made sure I wasn't going to die. And then she just said the words that I needed to hear. And that was, we got him. Wow. So, and I know back, back then, 20 years ago, and probably still now, that there seems to be uh, some stigma right around, um, you know, these types of cases and, you know, women coming up and, and, and reporting, you know, what happened to them. Was there, was there any type of thing back then, um, 20 years ago, when you when you were Well, you know, the word rape, the word rape was never mentioned in polite circles. You know, you just didn't talk about it. It's just something that didn't happen. You know, it may happen to some prostitute or something, but it didn't happen. So people didn't use the word. It, it just never came up in conversation. And so it was, it was doubly a shock because of that. Obviously, it was way before the, the Me Too movement. So, yeah, it was, sure, it was just horrifying, absolutely horrifying. And so what, what, what happened from, from there? Well, uh, immediately what happened was I was taken, obviously, to hospital. And that was quite a shock because they brought him into the hospital as well. And there the two of us were in emergency. <laughs> and, well, I got quite upset anyway. They quickly realized what had happened and they moved me away. Um, but I, I was so angry, as you can imagine, and I just wanted to change the world. I, I just thought this is wrong. This shouldn't happen to, to anybody. And it was at a time when South Africa was coming out of uh, apartheid into democracy. And they were calling for new submissions for a new constitution. And boy, I was going to submit <laughs> because this person that had raped me was out on bail for rape. And I just thought, we've got to change the law. We can't have rapists walk in the streets. And so I became an activist immediately. I became an activist. I lobbied. I marched the streets. I got petitions. I visited judges and police commissioners. And I really just went all out to make as much noise as I could. Um, and so I did that for a good few months. How, how easy was it for you to garner all that support? It was, it was quite difficult. A lot of people didn't want to talk about it, you know. You know, I would go to, I belong to a hiking club and I'd go to a meeting with, with the hikers and they would say, we don't want to hear about it. We don't want to talk about it. You know what I'm saying? Why is but that? They want your signature, you know. <laughs> so there, there, were, there were problems, but there was an amazing amount of support. 
uh, you know, people rallied around, news spread so fast, complete strangers were coming up to me and saying, well done, we, we really appreciate what you're doing. So it really, it really made an impact. It really did. In that process of uh, trying to garner support, were there other women who uh, came out to say, well, yes, that happened to me, that happened to me? Like, did it, did it give a lot of confidence to people who experienced that and, and, and perhaps kept quiet and, and decided to come out when you were going through or, or trying to campaign for, for that awareness, so to speak? I gave a talk to a woman's group where there were 100 women in the group. And I said to them, statistically, 25 of you in this room have been or will be raped. And everyone was going, oh, no, that's impossible. But when I went to the, the bathroom afterwards, four women came up to me and told me their stories. And I was the first person any of them had ever told. And those were the ones who came to speak to me. So there were still those who, who don't want to speak. So yes, it definitely helped people be able to express, to, to give voice to what had happened to them. Yeah, and, and which is why, Lois, what you, what you did or what you're still doing is a very powerful thing because you're, you're giving voice to the voiceless. You're coming out and, um, and, and interceding, really, if that's the word, uh, the right word for, for other people, right? And just, just, just leading the charge for, for a lot of women, um, um, who, who, who experience rape and abuse, who just can't, um, just, just can, can, can come out and, and say just because of the, the, the societal stigma, right? Because no one wants to be the face of, of that because then, you know, I guess the, the ability to easy, easily recognize them. But it, it takes a lot of boldness and, and courage, I'll imagine, uh, to come out and, and decide to do this. I'm, I'm sure there were folks who weren't happy, um, even with the judicial system, because this is not something that a lot of, um, you know, them, them want to touch because of just how complicated that this process is. Um, uh, would, would you say that that was the case for you? Certainly at the beginning, you know, the fact that I was out there and I was being bold and I was being courageous and strong and brave, which had some very negative side effects. Because today people are speaking out, you know, it's, it's not such as it, it's not a stigma anymore. People are aware that it's not the woman's fault. And, and so it's not a problem anymore. But in those days, it was, wow, you know, everybody would stop me in the street and say, wow, you're so brave, you're so strong, we're so proud of you, you're so wonderful. <laughs> and that ended up actually having a negative side effect. Because what happened was two years later, I one morning I just couldn't get out of bed. My back and my legs just collapsed. And I had to have a back operation. It failed. I had a second back operation. It failed. And I was bedridden for six months until it was pointed out to me that it was psychosomatic. There was nothing wrong with my back. What had happened, because I was so bold and so brave and I was out there and I was, you know, changing the world, I wasn't facing the trauma. I wasn't facing those emotions, the fear, the anger, the, the mm -hmm. hatred, the, all those negative things. What I was doing was I was putting them on my back. Mm. I was putting them on my back and I was putting them on my back until my back said, can't take it anymore. My back collapsed, kept me bedridden. 
what happened was, oh, look at me, I'm so weak and pathetic. And I could just be weak. I didn't have to be strong anymore. I didn't have to be bold. And I could face those terrible fears and, and work with the emotions, the, the traumatic emotions that I was experiencing. And so that's one of the lessons that I give people today is the first thing you must do, the first thing you must do is take care of yourself and manage those emotions. It's important that you, you feel them, that you understand them. So if you're fearful or if you're angry, whatever it is, you're depressed, guilt, blame, whatever it is, you need to deal with that first before you do anything else. I went straight, I call it going into survivor mode. I went straight from victim to becoming a survivor without dealing with the, with the emotions of being a victim. Yeah, that is such a powerful um, um, lesson there, Lois, because you, your emotions, of course, that's one of the things I'm really passionate about. But it's, it's almost counterintuitive, right, in the society that we live in today um, for anyone really to take time to, to, to accept or, or to deal with their emotions, right? And you actually um, use the, the five stages of grief model by Elizabeth Kubler-Ross in this society where it feels like we have to be tough, right? You, you, you have to, you're expected to, 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 to put up a front, whether, whether you like it or not, you have to be tough. There's so much competition. And so a lot of us go through life where we, we mask or we try to suppress the emotions that we're dealing with until it surfaces, um, unfortunately, in, 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 in very, very bad ways. And, and that's what you, you experienced. And, and, and I think it's really worth uh, drumming down because, um, you know, you go through life and everyone expects you to be up and, and doing and up and about. And if you're a man, they tell you, man, don't cry. You got to face it. You got to be tough and all of that. Whereas the opposite, actually, it's, it is true because if you don't deal and recognize the emotions that you're dealing with, you're, you're going to pay uh, the price for it. And that's exactly what um, what happened to you. So, so how do we reconcile that, uh, Lois? How do we straddle uh, that fine line, if you will, between standing up and, and being tough versus taking the time to, to acknowledge your emotions and feelings and taking time uh, to take care of yourself? Self-care, especially you know, with everything going on in the world today, it's important to take time to to go through that, to recognize what you're going through and deal with your emotions. Fair statement? Absolutely. You know, to, to go and do what I did, it was wonderful and I recommend other people do it, but not straight away. You know, I was just so angry. I wanted to go out there and make a difference. And, and I did make a difference, but it also, as, as we said, it had a detrimental effect on my health. Uh, it, it's so important, take that time be sad, be angry, express that anger. You know, if you know you, you might hate that person and want to kill them, obviously don't kill them, <laughs> but you can go and you can beat a, a dummy or you can throw darts at a picture or something. Yeah, yeah. But express that anger. It's so important that you express that anger. And then also it's important that you don't stay in that in that negative space for too long. Express it and then find a more positive emotion to replace the negative emotion with. So if it's hatred, you can't maybe go to love, but you can go to annoyance or dislike. You know, you don't have to go to the extreme opposite, but bring that emotion down, raise it on a scale and then bring it down over a period of time until you can accept it. 
the end of that story, um, Lois was was equally as powerful, right? Because you, you talk about um, forgiveness um, as part of the story. But bef- before we touch on that, you, you ended up losing your business and, and going bankrupt as a result of this. Do you want to tell us how that came that that happened? I was working. Um, you know, where I was attacked was in the place of work. And I just didn't want to be there anymore. And my whole priorities in life had changed. And so my business partner agreed to buy me out. But instead of buying me out, he betrayed me and he put the business into liquidation and bought it back <laughs> and uh, left me on the street with debt that took me years and years and years to recover from. So that and that happened just a few months after the rape. So there was a double, a double rape, if you like. I felt the second one was even worse because it was by somebody that I trusted and loved, whereas the first one was by a stranger. <laughs> and through all of those, Lois, through 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 the rape, through the backstabbing, you still find a place in your heart for forgiveness. Forgiveness first for the rapist. I want you to tell the listeners how how that came, how, how how that happened, because that's that's such a powerful lesson there that that you share as part of the story. Well, I'd left South Africa. Um, I'd been out of the country for fourteen years. Uh, I'd, it was fourteen years after the rape, and I'd been out the country for one year, and I was coming back for my first holiday. And in all that fourteen years, I'd never once made an inquiry as to. The, the rapist status. He had been given a 25-year prison sentence. And I'd never once queried or wondered, was he in, was he out, was he dead, was he alive? It never really crossed my mind. And for some reason, I decided to find out. <laughs> and I contacted the authorities and they told me that he was up for a parole hearing the day after I arrived in the country. Wow. I was just too much of a coincidence. And then in addition, the law in South Africa had just changed, allowing what they call victims, I don't like the term victim or survivor, but they call victims to attend parole hearings. So that uh, was just synchronicity. If the universe had spoken and said, hey, you're allowed to go, you're gonna be in town at the time, go and everybody advised me not to go saying I'd get triggered and I'd get upset and I'd what have you and I just said no but the universe has spoken I must go and then one friend suggested that I forgive and I thought don't be ridiculous how can you forgive but he got me thinking and I went and I googled and I searched and researched and studied up on forgiveness and I ended up writing this long speech and I went to the prison and I was the first person in South Africa to attend one of these new parole hearings. So they weren't quite sure how to deal with me. It was all, all uncertain. But I went into the prison um, and they went through all the proceedings. And then they said, did I have anything to say? So I said, yes. And I pulled out the speech and I started reading it. But as I was reading it, I thought, I don't understand it. It's too academic. Um, He definitely wouldn't understand it. He had a grade six education and English was not his first language. And so he wouldn't understand it. 
And so I just said to him, I said, you know, I am taking the responsibility from my higher self and I'm giving it back to you, to your higher self. And I compassionately and I completely forgive you and I take back my power. And as I said it, I still haven't been able to put words to that feeling, um, but it was just it was just the right thing. Um, I was completely liberated in that moment from anything to do with that with that individual. Uh, the, the authorities, they said to me they would let me know into seven days if you got parole or not. And I just looked at them and I said, no, I don't need to know. I don't want to know. Because I had that bond that was tying me to him was now completely broken. And it set me free from that situation, from that individual, from all the negative emotions. And I flew free out of that prison. Lois, you, you, make, you make this sound so easy. Um, uh, here's someone who attacked you, who raped you, who almost killed you. Um, and you're standing face to face with this person. And I'm sure all the memories, right, the painful memories from the past and all that he did to you must have come um rushing to you what was that reaction you know before you you you, you said all that just staring at this person how, how did it feel like and and i'm just curious to, how did he even receive that i mean when you're looking at this person face to face what was that like it it was you know the the prep, the preparation and the research was quite triggering. It was quite hard because as I was writing that speech, it was bringing back all the emotions, all the negative, the fallout. You know, the back to the, the losing the business, everything else that had happened, brought back memories of other negative things in my life. So that was a very difficult journey to actually prepare for I the bet, actual yeah. forgiveness. Yeah. But when I looked him in the eyes and I forgave him, it was freeing. That's all I can say. It literally was freeing. I looked at him. There was at one moment a, a sweeping bit of pity. Uh, I actually felt sorry for him for a while. Uh, it didn't last very long. <laughs> um, but I, I just really... I just was free, completely free of him. Wow. And, and the, the fascinating part is, in, ever since, I've never been triggered. You know, you get triggered when you hear somebody with a similar story or he attacked me from behind. So if somebody ever came up behind me, I would really get a fright. Now I don't get a fright anymore. I don't get triggered because that emotion has been dealt with completely. I have broken that tie to that situation so completely that there's nothing to trigger me anymore. That's an and amen. That that's an it. amen moment right there. <laughs> that's a that's an amen moment right there. What what a powerful what a powerful experience. Now, Liz, you you share as part of um, what you do in coaching and, and training other women and everybody else. Uh, some powerful lessons, right, that, that you share with people um, to be able to overcome some of these obstacles. Do you want to share some of those uh, lessons with her, with her audience? Oh, there's so many lessons. As I said, the first one is to just deal with your trauma as it, as it, arrives, as it arises. Um, it, it's so important that you 
sorry, it's so important that you deal with those emotions. And I've got a, a technique where I do creative visualization. You know, we all create vision boards for our careers and our homes and mm -hmm. our families, but we never create vision boards for our emotions. Mm -hmm. So if you're filled with hatred, once we've dealt with the hatred, I say, okay, now what do we want to feel? If it's shame or guilt or depression, how do we want to feel? And then we create a vision board of what we want to feel. And, and we put our feelings down into pictures and words and affirmations and just say, I feel wonderful and free and happy and joyful. And I see myself walking on the beach barefoot, whatever it is, you know, and, and really get that feeling, that positive feeling. And that's the first step. Uh, and then as you go through it, the building of the resilience um, to become a survivor, to get your life back into some form of normality, you need to, to have courage, you need to be creative, uh, you need to have a dialogue. Uh, I use the expression to reframe, refocus and redirect. So you look at the situation, you reframe it, you package it differently, you look at a different outcome, you refocus, you look at it from the big picture, from the small picture, and then you, you redirect your energies, and then you become a survivor. And, and those, take, those uh, skills or, or behaviors you can easily learn. And then, but you're a survivor, and to me, survivor is still a struggle. And so I say the next thing you need to do is to develop grit. And your grit is your, your passion and your perseverance and your persistence in going forging forward to a new reality. So it's saying, well, let it happen now. What am I going to replace it with? Mm -hmm. And finding the new direction, the new energy, the new focus, the new whatever it is, and go forward with that positively. And that's when you thrive. Wow. And then from thriving, and, and I always say, you know, people say, oh, I can't forgive. How can you forgive something so terrible? Mm -hmm. But when you are a victim or a survivor, you can't forgive because you're dealing, you're trying to get your life back together. You're right. dealing with all those horrible, horrible feelings and Absolutely. emotions. Yeah. How can you forgive? You've got, to, you've got to look after yourself. But when you become a thriver, that is when you can forgive. That is when you can say, okay, now I've got space in my heart to look with compassion at the other person. And if you can say that other person did what they knew was best at that time, had they known different, they would have behaved differently. Yeah. So I looked at the rapist and I said, had he known what he was doing to me was wrong, he, would have, he wouldn't have done it. But he didn't know any better from his upbringing and his experiences. That's all he knew in his life. And that helps you have compassion. It doesn't forgive or it doesn't condone what he's done. It doesn't say he gets away with it. He doesn't have to go to prison. It doesn't condone. But it's saying I understand he did the best that he could at the time. And having that compassion enables you to forgive. Wow. Lois, there's probably someone watching or listening to this uh, podcast, um, you know, I'm not sure whether they've maybe experienced something or, or 
you know, may, may have experienced this, may, maybe in, in, in years past and maybe have suppressed it or maybe someone dealing with, um, you know, their emotions or maybe not dealing with their emotions, but trying not to, not to just deal with it at all, right? Just trying to mask it or, or, or whatever someone may be going through right now. Uh, what would you say? You know, just, I want you to speak freely to address your audience tonight as someone listening to you. What would you want them to hear? Uh, what final words would you want to, would you want to share with them? I mean, we could talk about this forever, but... Um, I want to be respectful of time here for you as well, since I know it's late in South Africa. Uh, I, I want people to practice forgiving. Mm. Today, everybody has gratitude journals. Everybody now, three, three things you're grateful for every day. It's a fantastic practice. And I'm saying let's add to our gratitude journal and let's add three things we can forgive ourselves for and three things we can forgive others for. Because it's also important that you forgive yourself. I, I had to forgive myself for not knowing how to fight. I had to forgive myself for drinking too much afterwards. <laughs> and I had to forgive myself for hating him because that's a terrible emotion to carry. So we've got to learn to forgive ourselves. So I say every day practice three things. I forgive myself for shouting at the dog when he ate my slipper. I forgive myself for burning the toast. I forgive myself for pushing the snooze along. Uh, uh, it doesn't matter. You, you might think, oh, why, that's so silly. Why forgive yourself for that? But it, the more you practice it, the more it becomes a habit and the more it becomes a part of who you are. And so not only yourself, three things every day that you can forgive others for. So I forgive the dog for eating my slippers. I forgive the husband for not bringing the milk home. I forgive my friend for forgetting to phone me on my birthday. Three little things that you think are insignificant. And after a while, it gets easier to forgive the bigger things. And it becomes a part of who you are. Because for me now, forgiveness is so natural. It just comes. I can't hold a grudge for even a second. Wow. Wow. We all need to practice forgiveness because once in a lifetime, once upon a time, we're all going to be wrong, right? And it's going to be up to us. And uh, just like the quote I, I started with, it says to forgive is to set a prisoner free and to discover that that prisoner was Hugh uh, Lewis B. Smith. Uh, Lois, your website, um, walkingwithoutskin.com, right? Is that where our, our audience can, can find information about you? They want to reach out to you, one-on-one coaching, um, or, or learn about your work. Is that is that a website to go to? It's Walking Without Skin. It's my website. It's the name of my book, and it's also my Facebook page. Yes, and uh, and I'll, I'll I'll recommend that book as well. And that that chronicles your story and all the experience uh, that that you went through, right? Walking Without Skin. Where, where can listeners find a copy of that book? On Amazon. Okay. Lois Wagner, thank you so much for coming on the Time with Fred podcast and sharing such a powerful story. Um, about forgiveness and uh, a powerful lesson for all of us um, to take into consideration. If there's one takeaway for me personally is not to um, not to mask that emotion, regardless of what you what, what, whatever you're going through. Pay attention, practice self, practice self care, take care of yourself because if you don't, it's going to come back and often in very negative ways. So, boys, blessings to you and thank you again so much for sharing your powerful story with the world. Thank you, and I invite everybody to fly free.
fly free. I love it. I love it. Thanks again, boys. <laughs>